Amen. All right, we're there in James chapter number three. And of course, on Sunday nights, we've been going through this series called Undisciplined, and we've been learning to live a life of discipline. We started this series with a sermon on the subject of laziness. Then we talked about tardiness. And uh, last time we were in this series, we talked about cleanliness. And uh, tonight I was supposed to preach about gluttony, uh, but I'm, I'm going to push that back a couple of weeks because I just didn't think it was right to preach on gluttony and then uh, try to feed you ice cream and it just would get awkward uh, because most of you would sit there and not get ice cream and then there's some of you that would get all the ice cream and it just get, would get weird. Uh, so we are going to push that back, all right? So you got a, a couple of weeks to work off the ice cream for tonight and so you won't be guilty for the gluttony sermon. Uh, but tonight I'm preaching on the subject of our words, out of control words, because when it comes to living a disciplined life, and uh, uh, or being undisciplined, an area that people are often undisciplined in. In fact, God gives us an entire passage about it here in James chapter number three, is this area of our words. And of course, tonight, what I'm going to teach and preach to you from James chapter three is not anything new. You've heard it before. You've heard it from me before. And I'll just remind you what we learned in Philippians this morning. Remember when Paul said uh, there in chapter 3 and verse 1, he said, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same thing to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. It's good for you to hear this again. It's good for me to hear it again on this idea of controlling our words. And we're going to see here in this chapter how the control of our tongue and the control of our words has a lot to do with the control of our body and discipline of our body. In this passage here, uh, James chapter 3, specifically verses 1 through 18, all deal with this idea of our words. And notice he begins the chapter with a warning to those who lead. Notice verse 1, he says, My brethren, be not many masters. The word master there is a reference to uh, a leader, someone in charge. He says, be not many masters. He He says, you know, we don't, we don't need a lot of leaders, and, and, and of course we need leaders, but the idea is that he's saying you, you may not want to be a leader, and I believe he's specifically talking here to those in spiritual leadership, spiritual authority. He says, be not many masters, and you say, well, why would you tell somebody maybe you don't want to be a, a, a preacher, a pastor, a, a spiritual leader who gets up and preaches on a regular basis? Here's why. He says, my brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. He says, and, and James here is speaking as a leader himself. He's a pastor of a church, and he says, you may not want to be a master. You may not want to be a, a leader, uh, a spiritual authority. He says, because we will receive the greater condemnation. And you know, I believe that everything rises and falls on leadership, and leadership is held to a greater uh, a standard and a greater condemnation, uh, a greater accountability here according to James chapter 3 and verse 1. And then notice what he says in verse 2. He says, he says why, why will we receive the greater condemnation? Here's, here's why. For in many things we offend all. He says, here's why you might want to be careful. Now remember, the purpose of this passage is all about our words, our tongue, how we use our words. And then he says, you may not want to be 
a pastor. You may not want to be a preacher. You may not want to be someone that stands up and speaks in front of people for a living. You say, why? He says, because we will receive the greater condemnation. He says, for many things we offend all. He says, look, uh, uh, the word offend means to upset or to cause someone to be resentful. And he says, when, when you are a preacher, we tend to offend people, and many things we offend all, he says. And the truth of the matter is this, that uh, that, that, that is absolutely the case. You know, here in September, my wife and I will be celebrating 11 years in ministry. And for the last 11 years, I've stood up and preached three times a week, not every week, but the vast majority of weeks, three times a week, for about an hour on average every week. And the truth is this, that you cannot get up and speak for three hours on average a week for 12 months for 11 years and uh, not offend somebody and not say something that's offensive and that's rude. And I'm not just talking about preaching the Word of God. Obviously, the Word of God offends people. But I'll just be honest with you. Over the last 11 years of ministry, there have been things that I've said that I regretted saying. Uh, There have been things that that I said, even things that were correct, what I said was right, but maybe how I said it could have been uh, uh, better, and how uh, uh, I expressed it could have been better. And, you know, the only thing I would say to you in regards to that is, uh, you know, put yourself in the preacher's shoes before, you know, it's funny how people often, they, they, they want to criticize you and just keep you, you know, well, you said this. You know, and, and you said Job and you met Jonah, or you said Noah and you met, you know, whatever. And uh, just realize that if you got up and spoke for three hours a week for 11 years, we'd probably find a lot of stupid things you said and things you could have said better and things that you, sh- you maybe should not have said or uh, things like that. And notice he says here in verse 2, he says, For in many things we offend all. If any man offend... Not in word. Now, notice what he says. Now, he says, look, he says, we're all going to offend. If you get up and preach three times a week for years and years and years, you're going to say things uh, that that maybe you shouldn't have said or or things you should have said, but you could have said them differently or whatever. Then he says this. He says, if any man offend not in word. He said, if somebody has learned to control their tongue so that they don't offend people, he says, the same is a perfect man. The word perfect means that they are complete. They are mature. They are whole. They're mature in their Christian walk. When somebody, look, when when somebody is able to have a talk and a communication and maybe even uh, disagree with somebody and and do it in a way that is not offensive, that's not rude, that's not arrogant, uh, what you're looking at is a mature individual. When people get down to the place where they have to start uh, uh, you know, getting hostile and angry when they're talking. Here, James says that that is immaturity. He says, if any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. And then he says this, he says, and able also to bridle the whole body. See, he's speaking about this idea of controlling our words, of controlling our tongue. And he gives us three ideas in this passage, and I'm going to break it down for you tonight, and we'll have ice cream afterwards, all right? And uh, let me give you just a few thoughts here, and if you're writing down some notes, and I would encourage you to jot down some notes, uh, then you can write these things down. When it comes to controlling our words, and look, all of us struggle with this. Everybody struggles with this. The, 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 the struggle of controlling our tongue, the, stu- the, the struggle of, of, of not saying 
things we shouldn't say uh, uh, is a real thing. And what James speaks about here, and the first thing that he points out, and if you're writing things down, you can jot this down. He says, number one, we should control our words. Our words is something that we should attempt or have a goal of controlling, bringing it into control. And here's what he says. He says, if you can control your tongue, you can control everything else in your life. The hardest thing for you to control is your tongue. And if you can learn to control your tongue, then you won't have a problem uh, with a sermon on finances. You won't have a problem with a sermon on tardiness. You won't have a problem with a sermon on gluttony. You won't have a problem with a sermon on, on time management. You won't have a problem with a sermon on laziness. Because he says, look, the hardest thing to control in your life is your tongue. And if you can learn to control your tongue, you can control the rest of your body and the rest of your life. Notice there, verse 2. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle. You see that word bridle? The word bridle is a term used uh, when it comes to uh, horses or horseback riding. And a bridle is the headgear used to control a horse, to bring a horse under control. He says that he is able, he says the same as a perfect man, the man that can offend not in words, he's able also to bridle the whole body. Here's what he says. And the Apostle Paul is using this illustration of a horse. And he's saying, it's interesting how we control the entire body of a horse by taking control of the horse's mouth. And he says, and when we can learn to take control of our mouths, we can learn to take control of our lives. You're there in James chapter 3. Go back to James chapter 1 just real quickly if you would. Look at verse 26. He brought this up earlier in the book. James 1 and verse 26. If any man among you seem to be religious, notice, he says, if somebody looks like they're real religious, but... And bridleth not his tongue, he says, but, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. He says, look, when somebody is unable to bridle their tongue, when they are unable to bring their tongue into control, he says, they may look religious, but they're not. They may look mature, but they're not. He says, this man's religion is vain. It's empty. It's without substance. Why? Because... Uh, Religion and, 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 and religion in our life ought to affect how we deal with and treat people. And the biggest way we deal with and treat people is with our tongues. Go back to James chapter 3, look at verse 3. Notice the illustration of the horse that he gives. He says, Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. He says, we, we put a bit in the mouth of a horse and it gives us the ability to control the entire body of the horse. He gives this example. And then he gives another example in verse 4. He says, behold, also the ships, which though they be so great, are driven of fierce winds, yet they are turned about with a very small helm. He says, you can have this big ship and have this small helm and have this small piece of, of, of the helm control and turn about this entire ship. Then notice the last part of verse 4 there. He says, whithersoever the governor listed. He said the, the governor 
the, the person in charge. The word listeth means as they please or as they desire. He says the, he can control his entire ship by controlling just a very small helm. You can control this strong, uh, uh, potentially dangerous uh, animal called a horse if you can get control of its mouth. He says that if you can control your tongue, you can control everything else. Go back to James 1, look at verse 19. James 1 and verse 19. Now, you, we, James 1, 19 is a verse we reference a lot around here. And in James 1, 19, he says this, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. And then he says this, slow to wrath. So what does it mean to be in control of your words? Well, here's what it means. It means that the words that come out of your mouth are words that you allowed out of your mouth. You don't, there's not this idea where you, you, you say something and then you're like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. You say something and then you immediately regret it. Or you say something and you say, oh, I, was just, I, I was just angry and I was out of control. See, to control your tongue means that nothing that you shouldn't say comes out. You restrain. You keep it in. Keep your place there in James chapter 3. That's our text for tonight. Go with me if you would to the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, Proverbs chapter number 10. If you open your Bible just right in the center, you're more than likely following the book of Psalms. Right after Psalms, you have the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter number 10. Look at verse number 19. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 19. Proverbs 10, 19. See, one of our problems, and, and this includes me, one of the biggest problems we have is that we just talk too much. Proverbs 10, 19 says this, In the multitude of words... There wanteth not sin. The word want or want uh, means, uh, 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 wanteth not means a lack of. Or when you want something, it's when you desire something, when you're lacking something. He says, in the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. Here's what that means. He says, when you have somebody saying a lot of things, the more you talk, the more you speak, you're probably going to say something you shouldn't say. You're probably going to say something that's sinful. In the multitude of words... There wanted not sin. But he that refraineth, what does it mean to refrain? It means to control. It means to stop. It means to stop oneself. The same idea as a bit in the horse's mouth where we can restrain it. We can stop him from doing uh, what we want him to do. He says, he that refraineth his lips, notice these words, is wise. Amen. When we are able to stop our mouth, when we're able to stop the, the words from coming out, then you're religious, James would say. Then you're perfect, he would say. Then you're mature, he would say. Then you're a mature Christian. Go to Proverbs 17. Proverbs 17. Look at verse 27. Proverbs 17, this is verse 27. If you've read the book of Proverbs, you know this is a big, big major theme in the book of Proverbs, this idea that we talk too much. Proverbs 17, verse 27, the Bible says this, He that hath knowledge, he that hath knowledge spareth his words. The word spare means to uh, stop, to not put in use. Look, do you realize that you don't have to say everything you think? You don't have to give every opinion you have. You don't have to make every, everything you feel and how you feel about things clear to everybody. You don't, no, nothing in the Bible says you have, you know, people get to say, well, I just have to tell people how I feel. No, you don't. 
Well, I just have to tell my because I'm not a hypocrite. Nobody said you shutting your mouth makes you a hypocrite. Nothing in the Bible says that you must make every opinion known and everything uh, must be put out there. He that hath knowledge, the Bible says, spareth his words. And a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. Look at verse 28. Even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise. Even a fool, the Bible says, when they refrain their lips, when they stop talking, even a fool, when he shuts his mouth, is counted wise. And he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. Go to Proverbs 21. Look at verse 23. Proverbs 21 and verse 23. Proverbs 21, 23 says this. Whoso keepeth his mouth, whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue, keepeth his soul from troubles. The more we keep our mouth, the more we guard our mouth, the more we control our mouth and our tongue, we keep our soul from trouble. Proverbs 29, look at verse 20. Proverbs 29, 20. Notice what the Bible says. Seest thou a man that is hasty in his words? Now remember, what did James say? He said, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Here, we're told, seest thou a man that is hasty in his words? There is more hope of a fool than of him. Oftentimes, when we are trying to help people, and look, this issue of your tongue, it will permeate into every area of your life. It can hurt your marriage. It can hurt your child-rearing. It can hurt your career. It can hurt your, your church life and your family life. It can hurt your extended family life. Look, any area of your life can be affected by this idea of the tongue. And oftentimes, you know, we, we, we try to help individuals uh, with these things. And, and, and the, the question, you know, that, that often pops in my head and that sometimes I ask and sometimes I don't because sometimes, you know, uh, even a fool when he holds his peace is counted wise. But, uh, you know, so the question I often ask myself is, why did you have to say that? Why did you have to ask that question? Why did you have to make that comment? Why did you need to post that uh, statement or, or whatever? You know, I don't know what you call that on social media. Why? Seest thou a man that is hasty in his words? There is more hope of a fool than of him. Go back to James chapter 3, if you were. Keep your place in Proverbs. We're going to come back to it. So James is teaching us about out-of-control words and out-of-control speech and out-of-control tongues. And he says we should control our words. We should learn to control our words. You say, why? Here's why. Because if you can control your tongue, you can control the rest of your life. You can control your body. Just like if you can control the mouth of a, of a horse, you can control the horse. If you can control your mouth, if I can control my mouth, I can control myself. And then he uh, also says this, and this is where he, what we need to understand. He says, uh, you can only control your tongue through God. Amen. You cannot control it on your own. Right. James chapter 3, look at verse 7. Notice what he says. For every kind of beast and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea is tamed. Here is a testament to mankind. He says, human beings have learned to tame every type of beast 
birds and serpents and things in the sea. I mean, we have learned to capture them. We have learned to restrain them. We have learned to, to, to put them out for display. We have learned to teach them how to dance, and we've learned to teach them how to do shows. I mean, you can go anywhere in this world and find horses that are dancing, lions that are dancing, elephants that are dancing, whales that are doing tricks for you. James says, for every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and has been tamed of mankind. Then he says this, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. He says, the only thing that man cannot tame is his tongue without God. He said, with God, we can do anything. With God, we can do everything. With God, we can learn to be mature and to grow and to control our tongue. But James begins this idea here of, of controlling your words and out-of-control words. And, and you see how it has to do with being disciplined because he says when you can learn to control your words, you can learn to control your body, you can learn to control your emotions. We'll talk about that next week. You can learn to control every area of your life. So he says we should control our words. Then he makes another statement. If you're taking notes, I'd like you to write this down. Not only should we control our words, but we should also be cautious with our words. See, the truth of the matter is this, that there is great power in your words. James chapter 3, look at verse 5. Even so the tongue. Because remember, he just got done telling us, you control this massive beast, a horse. By bridling its mouth. He says, you can control this huge ship with this small helm. Then he says this, even so the tongue is a little member. He says, your tongue in comparison to the rest of your body is not that big. He says, it's a little body part. It's a little member. And he says, even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Isn't it funny how we use our tongues to boast? To brag? He says, Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And here he uses another illustration, and we should be familiar with this living in Northern California. He says, Look, it doesn't take a lot. It just takes a little fire. It just takes a little spark. It just takes a little bit to cause a big fire. He says, And that's, that's what your tongue is like. That's what my tongue is like. How great a matter, a little fire kindleth. He says in verse 6, and the tongue is a fire. I mean, notice, notice the way that James describes the tongue. My tongue, your tongue. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. It is the tongue that has brought wars. It is the tongue that has brought divorce. It is the tongue that has broken families. It is the tongue that has broken relationships, that has uh, broken uh, parent uh, and, and child relationships. It is the tongue. The out-of-control tongue. How great a matter a little fire kindleth. 
In verse 7, he says, For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and have been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly. It, 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 it doesn't want to be brought under control. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. See, James says we must learn to control our tongues and we must learn to be cautious with our tongues. You say, why? Because look, please understand this. Your tongue is very dangerous. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a small, it's a little member. But how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Go back to Proverbs if you, if you would. Proverbs chapter number 12. Proverbs chapter number 12. If there's, if there's one thing, I teach a lot about relationships and relational uh, maturity and parenting and, 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 and marriage and all those things. But when it comes to relationships, if there was one thing, if I could, if I could just you know, snap my finger and, and, and change people in one area, this is the area I would change them in. If I could get people to get to the place where they're willing to put in the work to actually control their words, it would change everything. You say, why? Here's why. Because your tongue is powerful. There is great power in your words. You can destroy or build up with your words. Proverbs 12, look at verse 18. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 18. Notice what Proverbs says, there is that speaketh, Notice this. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword. Think about that for a minute. Mom, is that how you want your kids to think of you? Dad, is that how you want your kids to think of you? When you open your mouth, it is like a sword piercing them. Is that how you want your wife to think of you? Is that how you want your husband to think of you? It is like a sword piercing. He says, there, he, here he says, there are some people that speak it. You, you would think he's talking about some sort of a dragon or some sort of beast. He says, there is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword. But the tongue of the wise is health. Proverbs 15 and verse 1, notice what he says. Proverbs 15, if you turn over just a few chapters to verse 1. You know the verse, but let's look at it together. Notice the power of the tongue. He says, a soft answer turneth the way wrath. But grievous words stir up anger. You know that your response with your words can either destroy or build up. It can, it can stop the fire or it can create a bigger fire. Proverbs 16 and verse 24, if you would, look at verse, uh, just flip one chapter over, Proverbs 16 and verse 24. Notice what the Bible says, pleasant words are as in honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. Your words, how you speak to people, how you make them feel, how you communicate to them, it can be like the piercings of a sword, or it can be as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and health to the bones. Which one are you? Which one do you want to be? Proverbs 18, look at verse 21. Proverbs 18 and verse 21. Proverbs 18, 21 says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. 
I mean, think about that statement. Your tongue has the power to breathe life into your wife, your husband, your children, or death. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. See, we must be very cautious with our words because our words are powerful, because our words hold a lot of power, especially, and obviously the words of everybody are important, but especially let me just talk to you dads for a minute. I don't know why. I don't understand why. I know it's true. I, I, I know it's very true. It, it's, it, the Bible says it, and, but even more than that, it's been studied out and researched. The words of a father to, their, to his children are very heavy. They're very important. I don't understand why that's so. I can tell you this. There, there must be a reason why God chose to uh, reveal himself as God the Father. There's something about the position of a father and there's something about the words of a father that can be very heavy upon our children. Death and life are in the tongue, are the, in the power of the tongue. And we must be careful, and not just fathers, all of us, but we must be careful in our positions of influence to make sure that we're cautious with our words. We should be cautious because our words are powerful. We should be cautious because our words can bring much destruction or they can bring much healing. Go back to Proverbs chapter 3 if you would. Proverbs chapter 3. James says we should control our words. He says if you can control your tongue, you can control everything else. And then he reminds us that we can only control our tongues through God. Through the yielding of the Holy Spirit. It is in your flesh that your tongue gets out of control. It is in your flesh that you say things that you regret. It is in your flesh that you, we play this tick-for-tap tick uh, type of game where they hurt us, we're going to hurt them back, and they said something mean, so we're going to um, be even meaner. And the sad thing is that oftentimes marriages, they play this game where it's like they're trying to outdo each other, and who can say the meanest, most hurtful, most nastiest thing? Just remember, when you're there, you're in your flesh. It's not of God. We should control our words. He says that we should be cautious with our words. Why? Because there's great power in our words. Our words can destroy or they can build up. They can bring death or they can bring hell. And then James says this. He says we should be consistent with our words. Not only should we control them, not only should we be cautious, but he says we should be consistent. Notice what he says there in verse 9. He says, therewith, in reference to our tongue. He says, therewith, and, and he's going to give us an example of inconsistency. When we lack consistency. He says, therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. He said, James says, it's interesting how on a Sunday morning, we use our tongue to say, hey, brother, God bless you, and use that same tongue to yell at your spouse on the way home. To curse at your spouse on the way home. 
To tell your spouse how worthless they are, how ugly they are, how stupid they are, how uh, 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 terrible they are. He says, therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men which are made in the similitude of God. You say, why should I, why, why should I treat my children like dirt? Why should I treat my spouse like dirt? Why should I treat other church members like dirt? Hey, here's why. Because God made them. Because they've been made in the image of God, in the similitude of God. He says in verse 10, out of the same mouth proceedeth blessings and cursings. And then he says this, my brethren, these things ought not so to be. He said, it's not right that the same tongue that blesses God curses men. And then he gives us an illustration from nature. He's been doing that. In verse 11, he says, that the fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter. Can you find a body of water and it's going to both have salt water and fresh water? He says, in nature you don't see these things intermixing either. The ocean is filled with salt water and the lake is filled with fresh water. But you, they're not, they're, they're, you don't find a fountain. You don't find a source of water that is producing both sweet and bitter water. He says, can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine, figs? He says, you, you don't find a plant that is producing different types of, of things. He says, so can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. And the idea that he's saying is this, that our tongues should not be the source of both blessings and cursings. He says, you don't find, you don't find a spring, you don't find a fountain that produces both sweet water and bitter that yields both salt water and fresh. And he says, your tongue and my tongue should be the same way. They should not be the source of blessings one day and the source of cursings another day. They should not be the source of blessings one minute and the source of cursings another minute. He said we should allow, we should, we should control our tongues in such a way that only blessings come out. That only that which is good comes out. That only that which is right comes out. Go with me to Colossians chapter 3, if you would. Colossians chapter 3, you're there in, uh, you're in James, so just, just go back. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter number 3. First, second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Notice what he says in verse 8. But now ye also put off all these. He says these are things that we should not have in our lives as Christians. As Christians, we should not have these things characterize our lives or be a habit in our lives. We understand that from time to time, people, we're all going to get angry and we're all going to say things and do things we shouldn't do. But he says these are not, should not be things that we're known for that we put on. He says, put these things off. Notice, he says, but now you also put off all these things. He says, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy. Then he says this, filthy communication. Filthy communication out of your mouth. He said, you should put off, look, there, there's some things that shouldn't come out of your mouth that should never come out of your mouth. And look, you say, well, uh, uh, what kind of things? Here's a good rule of thumb. If you want to say it in front of your mother, 
You shouldn't say it. You should, if you wouldn't say it in front of your pastor, you wouldn't say it. I was, we were joking around recently um, at, at dinner, and we were talking about the fact that, you know, unfortunately, it seems like I, I don't know very Baptist church. Unfortunately for my wife and I, one of the detriments of being a pastor and a pastor's wife is that you never actually get to know the people you pastor because everybody always puts on a show in front of the pastor and the pastor's wife. One of these days, I'm going to come to a red-hot preaching conference disguised like somebody else. And I'm going to take you guys all out to dinner, and I'm going to get to know who you really are. Because everybody always puts on the best act, the best show in front of the pastor and in front of the, the pastor's wife. And it's funny how all the couples get along really well in front of the pastor and the pastor's wife. And all of the children are very well behaved in front of the pastor and the pastor's wife. And all the dads are the greatest dads in front of the pastor and the pastor's wife. And all the moms are the greatest mom in front of the pastor and the pastor's wife. Well, let me just say something to you. If that's how you act in front of the pastor and the pastor's wife, just act like that all the time. Just be nice to each other all the time. Amen. Just pull out her chair all the time and esteem others better than yourself all the time. Don't let it be a show. Just be real. Amen. Just do it. Amen. Because our tongues should not be the source of hypocrisy. You don't think your kids see that? You don't think your kids know that? You're driving to church, yelling at each other, cussing at each other. You come into the parking lot. Hey, brother, God bless you. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You don't think your kids are, that's hypocrisy. That's not real. Our tongues should be consistent. Our tongues should be the source of blessing. Look, look, you should be real all the time. It doesn't matter who's watching. By the way, let me let you in on a little secret. For those of you that care so much about how, the pastor, how you act in front of the pastor and the pastor's wife, you know, the pastor and the pastor's wife aren't God. Amen. And the pastor and the pastor's wife aren't watching you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but guess who is? God! Amen. The Bible says that the eyes of the Lord are on every place, beholding the evil and the good. So with our words, we should be consistent. We should only allow blessings to come out of our mouths. We should put away filthy communication out of our mouths. Go to Colossians chapter 4, look at verse 6. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6, he says this, Let your speech be always with grace. Always with grace. We talked about that recently, I think in the Job series or something. The word grace means unmerited favor. It means you're getting, you're getting something you don't deserve. It literally means you're getting something you did not earn or you did not pay for. It means free. That's what the word grace means. It's important to us because we often use it in the context of salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. What does that mean? It means that when I got saved, I didn't earn it, I didn't pay for it, I didn't deserve it, I got it by grace. Yeah. Unmerited favor. It, it, it resembles mercy in the opposite way. Mercy is when I don't get what I do deserve, I deserve to be punished, and I don't get punished. That's mercy. Grace is when I do get what I don't deserve. I don't deserve heaven, but I get it. Like Paul said, being found in Christ through his righteousness. I didn't earn it, but I got it as a gift. 
And then Paul uses that word, that word that is often used in a, in, in a theological salvation context of getting something you don't deserve, that word grace. And he says, that's how your speech should be to other people. Let your speech be always with grace. You say, well, he doesn't deserve for me to give him respect. Right, but you didn't deserve salvation. And you got it by grace. So let your speech be always with grace. Well, they don't, she, yeah, she doesn't deserve for me to be loving towards her. Right, but you didn't deserve for God to love you either. And you got that by grace. So let your speech be always with grace. They, they, they don't deserve for me to be nice. They don't deserve for me to be kind. They don't deserve for me to say, uh, to, to not uh, make them feel like garbage. Hey, all of that may be true, but the truth is this. You didn't deserve heaven. You deserved hell. You deserved to die and go to hell as a result of your sin. God gave you something you didn't deserve. He gave you unmerited favor. And God says we should give that same grace to others through our speech. Let your speech be always with grace. By the way, you, you can't let your speech be always with grace if you're not using your speech to uh, preach the grace of salvation out soul winning. Let your speech be always with grace. And he says this, seasoned with salt. That means it tastes good. Salt is something you use on food in order to make it taste good, make it ta- get, get some flavor. He says your speech should be graceful and it should be tasteful. That ye may know how you ought to answer every man. Go back to Ephesians, if you would. You're there in Colossians. If you go backwards, you've got Philippians and then Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number four. We're talking about controlling our words. We should control our words. Why? Because our words hold a lot of power. And when we can control our words, we can control everything else. But we have to realize that we can only control our words through God. We should be cautious with our words. Why? Because there's great power in our words. Our words can destroy or build up. Our words can bring death or life. Our words can, can, can cause people to feel like they are being attacked or they can cause them to feel like they are being given health. And then he said we should be consistent with our words. Our words should, uh, should, should our, our, our tongues should not be the source of both blessings and cursings. When we can control our tongues and be cautious with our tongues, we can be consistent with our tongues. Now let me just real quickly, just by way of conclusion, give you three rules in, in regards to your speech. And you, you know these rules. I've taught you these rules over the years. And it's good for you to be reminded To write the same thing to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you, it is safe. It's good for us to be reminded of these things. You say, what are they? Well, in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29, the Bible says this. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. By the way, some of you need to memorize that. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. In this passage, we find these three questions that we should ask. Three questions that we should ask ourselves. You say, how can I be cautious with my words? How can I control my words? How can I be consistent with my words? How how can somebody do that? I mean, we can tame lions, but I can't tame my tongue. Here's the thing. You can tame your tongue with God's help. 
And you can tame your tongue by putting this verse into practice. Three questions we should ask. Three questions we should ask before we say something. You ever been there where you're just kind of ready to say something and you're wondering, you know, should I say it, should I not say it? Some of you are like, no, I've never had that feeling. Well, yeah, that's the problem. But um, hopefully you'll get to the place where you'll start asking that question. You should ask these three questions. Now, I've taught this before, and I feel like people have misunderstood it, and I think they misunderstood it on purpose, so let me just be clear. You don't answer these three questions like, I just answer one of these questions and I'm good to know to, to go. No, you must answer all three questions in the affirmative. You say, what are they? Number one, is it true? Notice he says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. The word corrupt means with error or dishonesty. It means it's gone bad. It's not right. The Bible says we should not allow corrupt communication to proceed out of our mouth. So we should ask ourselves, look, before you speak, you ought to ask yourself, before you make a statement, you ought to ask yourself, is it true? Is it true? This will often stop us from spreading gossip. Well, let me tell you what I heard. Let me tell you this rumor I heard. Well, you don't know if that's true. The Bible says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. So we had to ask ourselves, and look, obviously as human beings, we don't always all say everything right and correct and have all uh, the details, but by and large, we should attempt to control our tongues and be cautious with our tongues and be consistent with our tongues, and we can do that by asking this question, is it true? Is what I'm going to say correct? Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Then here's the second question. Is it kind? Is it kind? Notice there at the last part of verse 29, he says that it may minister grace. Remember the word grace? Unmerited, undeserved favor. That it may minister grace unto the hearer. See, our words, we should not allow words to come out of our mouth that are corrupt. And when they do come out of our mouth, they should minister grace. So you got to ask yourself, is it true? Is it kind? See, we often, as fundamental Baptists, we get this idea like, well, I'm going to tell the truth. But you, you know that you can tell the truth and not be a jerk about it? Paul talked about giving the truth in love. Preaching the truth in love. He said, he said, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Look, if people are going to get mad at you and get offended, let them get mad at you because you told them the truth. But don't let them get mad at you because of how you told them the truth. We like to say, oh, people are against us because of our position. But it is often our disposition that they are against. So you got to ask yourself, is it true? Is what I'm saying true? Then you got to ask yourself, is it kind? I am I saying it? Maybe it's not what they want to hear. And look, sometimes the faithful are the wounds of a friend, the Bible says. Sometimes we as friends and sometimes as a pastor, I have to tell people things they don't want to hear. That's right. And I, you say, what do you do? I tell the truth, but I say it in a kind way. Is it true? Is it kind? Here's the third question. Is it necessary? Notice the middle part there, verse 29. But that which is good to the use of edifying. Is what I'm going to say going to build them up? Is it going to edify means to build up? Is it going to build them up? Is it going to be helpful? Or is it going to hurt them? 
Is there, a re- is there a purpose for what I'm saying? Do I need to say this? Is it necessary? See, before you speak, before I speak, we should put a bit in our mouth. You say, what, what's that bit? It's these three questions. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? And, and it's up. No, whoa, pastor, <laughs> I got you. What I said was true. No, 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 but is it true and kind and necessary? Well, it wasn't necessary, but it was true. But if it wasn't necessary, they don't need to say it. Well, well, it wasn't true, but, but you know, I, I felt like they needed it. Well, you shouldn't say it. That's what all the gossips say. I'm not sure if it's true, but I think you need to hear this. You really need to hear this. You got to answer all these questions in the affirmative. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? By the way, if you ever feel the need to apologize, you got to ask yourself for, you know, what I said. Was it true? Was it kind? Was it necessary? We must take inventory of our tongues. We must learn to control our tongues. See, when it comes to the disciplined life, we must learn to control our tongues. Why? Because James says, James says that it is your tongue that tells us about your religion. It is your tongue that tells us about your maturity. It is your tongue and the control of your tongue that tells us how, about a, how good of a Christian you really are. So we should learn to control our tongues. We should be cautious with our tongues. We should be consistent with our tongues. And we can do that by answering these questions. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Do I need to say this? If I'm going to say it, what's the nicest, kindest way of doing it? And am I speaking the truth? Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? We must learn to control our tongues. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this passage in James, and thank you for these verses and these principles. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn to control our words. We cannot, we cannot be disciplined people if we do not learn to control our tongues, how we speak to people, how we speak to our spouse, to our children, to our co-workers, to our fellow church members. Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn to control our words. And as we'll talk about next week, learn to control our emotions. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.